Daddy out there in Star Wars, it's time for an episode of Star Wars All In, where we go on all the details of that galaxy far, far away. I am one of your hosts, Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow season of giving officiant, Ross. Ho, ho, hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is great to be back here. We had to miss last week, and that was very sad for us, but it was unavoidable. Here we are back and ready for the season of giving. And before we jump into the Battle of Crate, which is this week's topic, we want to talk about the season of giving because if you weren't here with us last year, now's the chance to learn. So every year during the month of December, we do a few giveaways on our Twitter account, mm-hmm. twitter.com slash Star Wars All In, or actually if you just go to twitter.com slash Sway, it should come right up, S-W-A-I. Yep. Um, so search that on Twitter, you'll find us. And um, we do giveaways. And so throughout the entire month, throughout the next few weeks, essentially, we are going to be running a few giveaways. Now, the first one, which we're talking about today, is going to be for a... um, This is is a figure that came out, oh, about a year ago, after the end of the first season of The Mandalorian. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the uh, sort of life-size Grogu, the child, Baby Yoda, Mattel live-action figure. Yeah. The one that is essentially a big doll that comes with the, you know, the Mandalorian Mythosaur skull pendant. It comes with the little control knob. It comes with the frog from the Sanctuary episode. So it comes with all of these great role-play pieces. This is a, a larger piece, like we said, of the child, kind of a life-size or close to it. And we're going to give this away. Now, in the past, we have done multiple multiple giveaways over many weeks. We are going to give away more things throughout this month, but this particular giveaway is going to go all month long. It's the big one. It's the big one. So you're going to have the entirety throughout the season of giving throughout the month of December, uh, throughout the next few episodes to apply. All you're going to have to do is go to our Twitter, like I said, and you'll find all the details there starting today, the day this episode launches and going through the next few weeks. So, Please go check it out. Uh, you'll find the details there. It doesn't take much to enter. It is open to anyone in uh, you know the lower 48 U.S. states. Uh, we are not going to ship internationally for this. However, we will have potentially some of the other giveaways that will be international because we know about 20% of our listeners are overseas. So yes. we will have some other ones. But for this one, because we have to physically ship it ourselves, we are going <laughs> to keep this one domestic only. We, we've so, learned from previous uh, yeah, seasons of giving. Um, but we are happy to do it because we, we, we love having you aboard and this is our favorite time, the season of around life day. It's the best, but it is, let's get to today's topic. We're going to talk wait. about the battle of Craig and the, we have a lot to say the big action finale from episode eight, the last Jedi. We're going to go in a deep dive. We think you're really going to enjoy it and stick around right after this. So we fly in over Crate. Mm. 
we see the white surface, we see the mountains in the distance, and as we come in on the surface of the planet, we see this amazing shot of Leia looking out over the surface from the entrance to the bunker. She's got that amazing coat on where you can only see her eyes, and Mm. just opening up, I mean, pretty much every shot from here until the end of the movie is an incredible, beautiful scene. Every single shot that they frame has this like this shine to it this purpose and it starts here in my opinion with this leia scene where you just see her looking across the white landscape you see the uh, the first order shuttle come in followed by the tie fighters you see the gates start to close you see the crystal foxes run in through the door like you're getting this whole ambiance of this planet without spending any time there well, this is this is the heart of visual storytelling. We're using strong, stirring images to set the the visuals of what is at stake. The tensions being built with the John Williams underscore and these very um, eye catching imagery. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and the score here is beautiful too. Pretty much, once we get to the Battle of Crate score, throughout the rest of this part of the film it's an incredible music so if you haven't recently gone and listened to this part of the soundtrack you know start with the battle of crate and work your way forward i think there's some really truly great iconic john williams in here mm-hmm. um and it, and it starts right here the other thing about this moment that is really great from a john williams standpoint is if you want to the last jedi has that version that is score only right that is only the john williams music and it is a movie that works beautifully with that. So highly recommend if you haven't watched the whole thing, do it. Or if you have watched it before, just go back and start with the Battle of Crate and watch from there till the end yeah. with the score only. Because it's absolutely amazing. And that's something I did for this rewatch, too. Well, because the fun thing about um, all of that is Star Wars has always been, since George Lucas decided, like, it, it's a silent movie. Like, it has more score and underscore than most film until recently. I mean, I think John Williams with Star Wars set a tone that a lot of people are like, I want that too. Um, But for the most part, like, it has thematic stirring. I remember when episode one came out, they didn't do that because DVDs weren't that crazy yet. Um, But they had the the soundtrack version you could buy that was like four discs that was like the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's... Every single music cue in sequence of the entire movie, not these orchestral versions for the soundtrack. Um, Real quick, as we get too far, let's just set the stage. So we are on the planet Crate, Mm -hmm. um, which is a new planet introduced to Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Um, We established the fact that at some point the Rebellion had a presence during Mm -hmm. the Galactic Civil War. Mm -hmm. We don't. Even the like comic books that like touch on its previous history and stuff, we don't really get into like exactly why this planet's strategic or or really why they built the giant door. Um, So they do talk about it a little bit in Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Yeah. uh, Where, you know, which was a tie-in book for the film, uh, and they established Crate a little bit, and they established Holdo's character. But it was essentially one of the original meeting places where Bale could essentially interact Mm -hmm. with characters like Saw Gerrera and sort of keep, you know, that rebellion stoked. Before, you know, the time of Ezra well, and the real coming together. Before of the, the alliance, alliance. Yeah. When it was just mm-hmm, exactly. rebellions across the galaxy. And and the thing about it, about Crate that's interesting is just the fact that, like, it's got a nice old feel. Like, when you're walking around it, you see, like, things we see from, like, Echo Base and things we recognize as 
rebellion tech. And just the kind of the giant door specifically just makes you go like, I wouldn't be surprised this is a holdout from some old Republic like depot or base. Like it just seems like this is a planet that's been moved on past, right? Like at some point it was important. It hasn't been important in decades. Yes, yes. It is certainly on, I mean, they even use the word abandoned, and Mm -hmm. I I think we take that word very literally here. And Uh, so we find that our rebels, the the leftovers of the resistance that have survived the onslaught uh, that they've gone through at the beginning moments of Last Jedi, the leftovers of them have finally made their way to this. They have this base. This is where they're going to make their last stand, and... The First Order is aware and are mustering their forces to come and attack. So there's, like you said, these visual imageries is just building the tension of the fact of these few tiny, quiet moments we have before a pitched battle has to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the battle, they think, is starting before it's actually begun because as Finn, Rose, and BB-8 fly in and crash through the closing uh, blast door at the front of the base, mm-hmm. you know, they're all shooting. I-, I love you see Leia pick up a blaster here, which is something we haven't seen in the sequel trilogy. So getting to see her fire a blaster again along with Poe and everybody else in that crowd as they're shooting at the shuttle here that's just crashed into their base. Um, I, th- I think that's really satisfying, you know, to see Leia pick up a blaster a la the Death Star again. It gives you that real general Organa kind of vibe. Very much, very much into it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we see Rose and uh, Finn are alive here. Poe's very happy to see them, but very worried about BB-8. The very first question he asks. Love that moment, you know, of them reuniting here. It's his favorite dog. I mean, droid. Yeah, it really, really is great. And Oscar Isaac's great in this moment again. Um, there's also a line, kind of a throwaway line here, but is worth put up. You know, our shields have been activated to protect us from bombardment from space. So we have a planetary shield generator, which is important. Yeah, so they are covering uh, kind of their bases on why that's not a threat this time. They also say that, well, Leia says that they're sending out their distress signal. You know, use her personal code. Send out to her allies. If the the time has come, if you're going to act, now is the time. Mm -hmm. And that is essentially our setup here as we get ready for the First Order invasion. The First Order lands and they have this huge force of walkers and what they what poe calls out is they have a battering ram cannon miniaturized death star tech which i will say is one of the few silly things i about last year like death star tech i'm like what about a powerful beam that pushes stuff is it's got a kyber crystal in there. It's like orange, which is not the color of Death Star tech. I was, I, it, I'm curious about that. If it is kyber crystal run, if that's I, kind of the implication or it's Ryan Johnson. So I'm not going to say lazy writing because I won't throw that his way, but it's just shorthand for it's really dangerous yeah. just for the people who haven't been paying attention. I said the word Death Star tech, which should remind you that this is a yeah. very powerful, potent form of technology. Yeah, it's just meant to tell us that it's serious and that this big door could withstand normal bombardment. But because they have this specific thing, that's why it's now a threat. Right. That's what it's there. And, to tell and us. we're also getting um, a taste of the brutalism of uh, the First Order. We have this we have this battering cannon, this thing that's designed for just cracking open any defenses. And it's flanked by the new type of walker, the mega caliber sixes, yeah. Um, yeah. these gorilla walkers, which because they have such a forward front, big heaviness to them. 
I would argue they're the most intimidating of all the walkers we've seen. They they look like certainly the largest thuggish yeah. walkers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they've just got this gargantuan you know heavy cannon built into their backs. Yeah. They're really really a fun design here. And as this cannon is getting dragged across the surface of crate, we see the red get sort of pulled up behind it as the salt is all scraped out of the way and the planet's bedrock is, you know, revealed below. Uh, It's a really, really visually interesting setup here. And they basically come up with a plan to, we need to take out the cannon so we can buy time until our allies get here. That's our only plan. We're trapped in this cave. Mm -hmm. We have to rely on our allies coming to help us. So we need to stop them from breaking down the door. We need to buy time. That's the plan. That is sort of the crux of the end of this battle here. Because really, it is more of like a siege, just like this whole movie has been. You know, the First Order yeah. has been trying to break down, you know, the, the uh, Alliance's capital ships, sorry, the Resistance capital ships. And essentially, you know, they're trying to wait them out. And the same thing is happening here. They're trying to essentially break down their defenses. Yeah, and, and, and again, we're getting echoes of Hoth, mostly because we've got, like, the white landscape, which in the case is salt, not snow. But we have, like, the guys in the trench who are, like, like tasting and say, telling us that it's salt, but also being like, I'm in a trench fighting walkers. None of this makes sense. None of this makes sense. They have a little, well... Maybe not better equipment, but they seem slightly more prepared. Uh, this is also where we get, just to point out, this is where we get that Gareth Edwards cameo. Yes. He's next to uh, the salt guy. We also have here, uh, coming out onto the planet's surface, Callan Emit. He's a lieutenant in the Resistance, but he's sort of leading the ground battle there with that white flowy beard and hair of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, giving us, showing us some uh, some veteran leadership here. Of the resistance, uh, and then this is where we get to the skim speeders. So oh boy, yikes! They are they are not looking so good. These skim speeders, and we see it's really cool. The top of the mountain sort of has like a door that opens up, yes. and all of these skim speeders come shooting out. Um, you know, we see Poe's leg is going through the floor of one, and you know they can barely stabilize on the planet. They have no covering yeah. on the cockpits. It like, feels like, like not great. Almost like they're using like uh, like World War One biplanes. They're rickety. They're made of softer materials. You're pun- you know, there's just fabric underneath. If you push too hard, things fall out. Like they have made these ridiculously um, rickety, and just by their very nature, you can tell how old their tech is. Which is why I still pet theory think that like this is an even older base than the Galactic Civil War, because these skim speeders, their repulsors are only strong enough to hold them like six seven feet off the ground and that little skimming like stick that goes underneath them the ski yeah um is there to make beautiful imagery but i guess is there to just to let the repulsor lift know that like it should always be touching the ground because that's the amount of height it's trying to generate yeah it's it's like a rudder of a ship is kind of the way i interpreted Mm -hmm. it like it's guiding it uh, guiding its direction a little bit through the water or through the air in this case. Uh, but as Mac pointed out, it's also to give us this beautiful imagery. You know, we get a lot of overhead shots of these streaks of red in the white ground as these speeders are moving. And as the um, as the walkers start to blast them, you get to see all this sort of pattern in the sand as they're curving in and out. Uh, And it's a really, really beautiful battle from just a visual standpoint. And the whole thing is happening like as the sun is setting on this planet. And it's just a a very, very 
very beautiful moment um, visually for Star Wars. Uh, and so as we see all of these, you know, these ski speeders get picked apart, um, you know, Poe is trying to help everybody out, like trying to keep everybody under control, trying to lead this group. But it's only because the Falcon comes to save them and distracts all the TIE fighters mm-hmm. that they're able to make it out of this part of the battle. And so we have Chewie and the Porgs flying the Falcon over crate while Ray uses the gun turret to... Uh, take out as many ties sometimes three at a time there's some really really great shots she's learning from poe here apparently yeah and 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 the stakes of the battle are like i said the the the, uh ski speeders are basically zipping around and they're too agile for like the walkers to really target um so that's why they're getting the ties to do air support and that's what's knocking them all out um and when the Falcon shows up, we're reminded of the other storyline we're seeing, which is from the First Order perspective, where on the lead walker, we've got uh, Hux and Kylo. No, and- I don't know Walker. They're on uh, They're on his shuttle. Oh, that's they're, right. I'm they're sorry. They're on the command like shuttle. There. My yeah. bad. No, that's okay. Hey, that's all good. Um, that's, it's a that fun is, element no, no, because that is you important. have the, yeah. the back and forth between Hux and Kylo here. And you also have the, the shuttle pilot who's just like agreeing with Ky- everything Kylo says. Because he's throwing hawks against the wall. He knows where his paycheck comes from. Yeah, he The he, supreme he, leader. <laughs> um, but I love because you get to see the disposition of Hux is a general. He is a fairly practical person mm-hmm. who is probably the one, one where like Kyle's like, we'll blow up everything. Let's take all of our guns. Sir, we need like three walkers and a battering cannon. There's like 30 of them. Like, no. <laughs> And there's this calmness and you just see how unhinged Kylo is. Cause like he, he just defeated Snoke and he doesn't feel like he's the Supreme leader. He doesn't feel like he's now like, he's got Hux who already is not showing him the respect he should. Right. right. Like he's already frustrated with the fact of that didn't make him a Sith master. He is still Kylo Ren. He is furious that somehow the resistance escaped that the flagship has been destroyed and that Ray rejected his proposal, even though it makes so much sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so when he sees the Falcon, he's just like, blow that ship out of the sky. Like he's so enraged that his father's ship is here to anger him, antagonize him that much more. And Finn has the great line here of, Oh, they hate that ship. They do. Which is really, really great. Um, it's it's a great moment. For, I mean, this whole scene for Kylo, as you see him get more and more mad at this situation, is really, really great because it takes a lot of his like anger from the first movie that was just uncontrolled and wild, mm-hmm. and he's funneling it towards an objective and making himself a more serious villain in that way, yes. giving himself a more serious purpose. Um he really he really is doing a good job of convincing us here that he can be the lead villain. Like, you know, he's trying to step into that role. And this is the the first scenes we're seeing of him leading. And so it's very, yeah. very interesting as the cannon gets prepared to fire here. Um, what I like about this is it has sort of this like preemptive guiding light <laughs> that it uses. Like the cannon is it's like a- warming up and it's like it's it's like it's either a sight, the area. Yeah. It's like either a sight, or it could be like a guide yeah. in the sense of like, yeah, it, it's like a um, like tracer. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of what um, I was thinking. It helps them like aim, but it also seems to be like 
almost the center of whatever electricity or plasma like will coalesce along that line. Yeah, because you're seeing like the heat waves move through the air as you hear the cannon power up before it actually starts blasting. And you can see things in the air because you see Poe run across, um, you know, run across the desert here. Um, oh, I just realized we skipped an important moment. We skipped an important moment. I was getting too antsy. So as the cannon prepares to fire, uh, Poe orders everybody to turn back, you know, realizing this is an unwinnable situation. It's not worth sacrificing ourselves for no reason. Because Poe has grown and learned. Because this is facilitating the end of Poe's arc. At the beginning of the film, we see him be this brash young pilot who, even though he's successful in his mission, fails in the ultimate goal. And throughout the film, we see him learn, you know, this this arc, right? He goes through the whole Holdo thing and then fails again, realizing, you know, that his 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 mission that he set up doesn't work. He thinks he gets Rose and Finn and BBA killed. And then he thinks he's failed even more when he realizes Holdo has had a plan. And because of his incompetence in telling Finn and Rose about this, has given DJ the opportunity to betray them and sell them out. And all of this failure of the resistance stems from Poe. And so here at the end of the film, it's showing us that he has finally learned, you know, it's clicked in his head. Hey, I'm not going to sacrifice my friends for taking down a, a piece of technology that doesn't well, matter, that ultimately the, doesn't change anything. And right. That's I mean, and that's the biggest thing is just the glory and revenge that comes from defeating, getting a major victory for the first order isn't how they're going to win the war. And he gets that now. Yes, absolutely. And we'll jump ahead here just for a second, because as the rest of this movie goes on, we see this leadership come through and more and more in Poe. And this arc that he's had throughout the entire film is solidified more. It starts here in this moment, the conclusion of his arc. Mm -hmm. But as he leads them throughout the, the maze of the base, which we'll talk about here as we go, that, hammers at home right and so they do a really really good job you know we're going to talk about all of the characters arcs here at the end because this is the finale of this film but it's it's a really really great arc for poe here and it starts here right during this final battle or i should say the beginning of the end starts during this final battle <laughs> again we were talking this is a it's a multi-stage battle that uh, evolves and it's not like say the battle of endor where it's happening on multiple levels and you're cutting between them it's it's mostly linearly happening, but it's just got these movements and stages to it that you're you're moving through yeah. where certain characters are more important in this stage than other stages. Right. And it, it's a very interesting roller coaster you get locked mm -hmm. into. Absolutely, because you can tell that there's a lot of emotion happening here, but you don't know, you know how it's going to end. And that's where we think our first sort of ending is going to come from here because Finn wants to ignore Poe's order. He thinks that, no, they can do it. They can push forward and they can make a difference. If he can just get in there and destroy the cannon, everything will be okay. Because yeah, now that the cannon is firing this just orange beam that's boring through the door... Like, they just know that, like, the second that cuts through, then those walkers can just open up through that gap, and yeah. the whole base will just be blown to hell. And so Finn is going for it. And we see as he's flying his speeder towards this, this sort of preemptive guiding light is sort of melting away his ship as he pushes through it. And, you know, Poe is yelling, don't do it, you know, don't do it, don't do it. And Rose comes out of nowhere, crashes her speeder into his. They both go skidding across the, the landscape. And as they do that, Poe is sliding into the trench with the rest of the soldiers. 
as the beam from the cannon fires through the door, batter, battering the door down, as they say. Mm-hmm. And um, a big giant hole is blown into their defenses. Yeah. And this feels like this could be the end. You know, this could be the end of the resistance here. We've got um, Finn who, um, you know, goes and runs across the uh, the open and, and pulls Rose out of her ship. And they have their moment here together. And this is sort of where Finn's arc comes together, where he sort of has what he's fighting for now. You know, at the beginning of this film, he has nothing other than Ray. He's after Ray. And now by the end of this film, he's a full-fledged member of the Resistance, you know, fighting for fighting for their safety and savior. And that's what Rose teaches him here yeah. with the conclusion of, well, of his arc as well. And it's the end of Rose's arc because Rose has been trying to essentially validate her sister's death and that is by the point is not to sacrifice that's what i hate about my sister's death is right sacrifice doesn't get us anywhere you know like you know we will win this war by fighting for what we love not Mm -hmm. against what we hate i saved you that's how we're gonna win not fighting what we hate saving what we love right right and so we see this same like these words could have been played over the father scene, right? Like yeah. her whole mindset is, I am not going to try and, you know, kill the slave masters. I'm going to set the slaves free, right? Like, like there's a difference, even though they're the same outcome of freeing the slaves, there's a difference in the way you're going about well, it. A very Jedi approach to it in a certain and, way. And she's the counterpoint to Poe. Poe's all about the big victory, the flashy explosion, the destroy, you know, Pose on cloud nine when he loses all of blue squadron and most of black squadron fighting the uh, dreadnought, but he kills the dreadnought and he feels great. Yeah. And, and you know, Rose feels absolutely terrible because she has the most personal weight of what that victory cost. And she spends the whole movie being the counterpoint of like, it's not about stopping the problems. It's about protecting the things that, you know, the problem, you know, Protecting people from what those problems do to people. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, And again, it leads to, in this moment, Finn finally having a culmination of these threads he's been stitching together all movie about who is he? Because the, the journey in Last Jedi for him is, I was a former stormtrooper and I'm running from the First Order. Well, what do you want to be? I'm a former stormtrooper who's running from the First Order. Well, what happens when you turn around and have to face where you came from? I have no idea. And he spends the whole movie learning that lesson with, like, mm-hmm. you know, DJ basically showing him what, what it's like when you just are on the run and you only care about yourself. And Finn doesn't want to do that. And he sees Phasma and fights Phasma again, which reminds him of how much he does not want to be a stormtrooper, how much he doesn't want to fight for the First Order. And this moment with Rose just kind of sells him on why he cares about the resistance. It's not because it's where he ended up. It's because he believes in the people and the things that this is about. Yes. I mean, and ultimately, I mean, when you really are zooming back to the high up level, Star Wars is about human nature versus machines, right? It's about the little guy versus the big guy. It's yeah. It's, I mean, ultimately that's what this story is. And so all of Finn's arc, I think, is partially facilitating that common theme of Star Wars, yes. too. Um, and so very, very, very well done here, in my opinion, to bring that together Agreed. and to give Finn a character 
uh, for this movie. Um, now we see the cannon blast go off. We hear that there is no response from the uh, from the resistance distress signal, and so you know Leia has this moment here where you know the spark is out, hope is lost. Yeah, and admittedly, ever since Poe said we need to retreat, we're we as the audience have been starting to get on board with okay, this is an escape movie now. Yeah. They are not going to win the Battle of Crate. It's about like Hoth, like how do we get out of the situation? And when Leia says this, it's when we as the audience have the real like. Yeah, but no, like, like how, how do they, how, how are they going to escape? Yeah. They, they escape, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's when we hear those few. There's this really, really great music cue as it just turns sort of like this, this dark hallway in the base, and everybody's sort of head looks up as the music starts playing, and you see the shadow of Luke sort of come forward through mm-hmm. the door, uh, you know, in it with his hood up, and there's this amazing moment here between him and Leia uh, once again, where the score is just really beautiful. Once again, take a take a moment to to watch the score only finale of this movie because it's well worth it, even if you don't want to watch all of it. Because I understand that can be a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this great moment between Luke and Leia, and I mean, we've talked about this at length yeah, before yeah. and other Luke episodes and stuff. And it's not really part of the battle. So we're not going to get too into it here, but it does a great job of setting up something really, really important, both about star Wars and about the finale of this movie and of this battle. And that is that while it is possible for everyone to be saved, sometimes it has to be the right person doing the saving, mm-hmm. right? Just like Obi-Wan could not save Anakin, but Luke could, Right. We have a similar situation here with Ben, right? Where Luke isn't the person to save him. From Ben's point of view, Luke will never be someone he can trust and come to. Right. And you can have whatever gripes you want about if you, you like that story or whatever, but that doesn't make it a... But that's the one they're uh, telling you. Here. You know, that is the story we're here to have, where Luke does not believe he is the person who can save Ben. He believes that even though... And then Leia says, oh, my son is lost. And this is how Luke basically gets this point across of, no, nobody's ever gone. I'm just not the one who can save him. I'm here to face him. Yeah. And this is as much a moment for Luke in a conclusion of Luke's arc as it is facilitating the story and serving the greater purpose of saving the Resistance. This is for Luke, his sort of coming out of hiding moment, facing the thing that scares him, right? Um, one of the best things cool. from The Rise of Skywalker, right? What is it? Confronting evil is the destiny of a Jedi. That like overdubbed line from the trailer. Uh, it's like that is just like in episode six. That is, that holds true, right? Luke facing Vader was his final test of becoming a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And all of these sort of these choices that you make throughout your life, right? They lead you to this point. And so Luke deciding to come back and Luke deciding to face that choice that almost, or he was worried about throwing him down the dark side eventually, which is why he was so scared of that choice that he almost made, Um, you know, choosing to overcome that and choosing to get past his failure, you know, which we see Yoda help facilitate a little bit before this as well. Um, All of that comes to fruition in this speech with Leia basically saying, just because I'm not the person to save him doesn't mean he can't be saved. And just because I can't save him doesn't mean I can't help or shouldn't face him. And it's him finally also embracing his role as this avatoristic person for people to look up to, which is something he has always been reclusive about in like almost all tellings of stories. He's a very humble person and he doesn't want to be the, Oh, it's the Jedi grandmaster. Like, nah, nah, I'm just Luke. I'm just a farm kid, you know? Yeah. Like, and I think we see that sort of play out here of, you know, 
earlier in the movie, this scene is foreshadowed when he says, what do you expect me to do? Take a laser sword and face down the first order, which of course is what he's about to do. (laughs) Um, But it's that thing of like, ever since his personal shame with his nephew, especially he's like, people looked at me like I could fix the universe. I can't, I'm just one guy. And this is sort of the thing of like, you are, but you are the right man in the right place to take care of this one thing. You can change the course of the universe right here by just being who you are. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we have him walk through the base and again, back to the actual battle, he walks to the base and he comes out into this just kind of like spot where we've seen the scars on crates because that's what this beautiful imagery is doing is just splashes of red everywhere, which of course invokes blood and the carnage that's happened out here. And And as he's walking through the base there too, I also think it's worth pointing out, we see all of these faces of these people watching him, sort of like meerkats popping up as he walks by. And it's like, (laughs) it starts with, um, it's actually a cameo of all of Mark Hamill's children in the back there. I don't know if you know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Those three resistance soldiers. And then I think it's, I didn't write this down. I think it's 3PO, or no, 3PO's in the base with Leia. Well, 3PO's, yeah. And then it's Poe. Like So it's like they stack them on top of each other where they're popping up in sequence. Mm-hmm. And as the camera pulls back and like all of the shock and awe on their faces as they watch Luke walk by and yeah, they don't say it, but you could hear the whispers like, is that Luke's guy? Right. Oh and that, God, is that is very Jedi? much the theme yeah. of the end of this movie here. And like it, it's hard to say because it's not like other Star Wars movies don't do this, but this is literally putting into visualization the hope that the Jedi create, right? Like these yeah. people who are I think watching this happen are the ones who are spreading the stories throughout the galaxy. From a completely filmic perspective, like just talking about this as the discourse of film, partially because of its how recent it is and how it is in vogue with current tastes, mm-hmm. this is not very hard to argue, argue as the most well-filmed Star Wars. Oh, I think, I think from a yeah a cinematography I mean, standpoint, I think a, there's some arguments to be made about like New Hope or Empire because of the direction of them. But this is trying to be a much more visually arresting and interesting film than those were. They were yes. trying to emulate the old serials and stuff. So right. they're specifically not trying to be as ambitious as they might have been because we've seen George Lucas in other films well, look do how ambitious more ambitious episode stuff. one is comparatively to the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. I mean, episode one is. Not only from a from a model making standpoint and from a like a, a scene standpoint, huge. I mean, sure. the, the amount of people and everything, and it, it, so like compared to that, right? We even see the difference there, right? But I'm in Last Jedi. I think it's very clear, like in this sequence that you're mentioning, is like this is very much stronger language than Star Wars usually trades in of show don't tell. And Star yes. Wars has always been a show don't tell kind yes. of movie, but like like you said. There is a cadence to those looks that he's getting. There is these stark silhouettes as he kind of reaches the hole. There is the red splash, which the only reason this planet is red. So is because it's visually arresting. Like, um, and, and again, it's just extremely strong. And we see the, the lineup of the first order and that heat waving sun behind them. And, you know, it, it has a great Wild West showdown vibe oh, to absolutely. it. Absolutely. And we get Luke that comes out, and again we should mention, and Luke looks pretty cleaned up. 
Looks like he uh, he took a shower, uh, hit the barber real quick, washed away some of that gray. Yeah, you know, get some just for men in there. Yeah. Um, and he walks out out kind of the center, and Kylo knows. You can hear <laughs> Kylo's heart go up into his throat. Yeah, like, like you can hear that moment of like, oh, okay. And every gun, I want every gun we have to fire on that man. <laughs> it's like, Uncle Luke's here, huh? <laughs> I'll yeah. show him I have ships now. <laughs> I was going to say, see, I was a scared little boy. This time I'm going to get him. <laughs> and so as all of these walkers, there's this great moment of silence where you just hear the sort of whirling of the guns, like, you know, as they sort of pivot to face him. Yes. And then the first one fires and it's silent again for a second. And then they all start and the music picks back up again. And it's just this incredibly powerful moment where you have Kylo in the command shuttle yelling more, more. Well, you said we <laughs> have really that one great. big shot, which yeah. is just a plume of smoke yeah. and salt, which tells us just how ridiculously powerful the cannons on these ATMC6s oh, yeah. They want to make you feel it. And then... We get another, and then it becomes a volley, just a continuous volley of them. And as they're hitting the ground, this red smoke is coming up from the dirt. Because we're carving out the bedrock, and so now the red is getting pushed up into the air. And it looks like, you know, the smoke cloud of a nuclear bomb. Like, it is just, (laughs) it's just, once again, visually, it's very purposeful, and it's, it's very... It's meant to feel big and grandiose and a step above the Battle of Hoth. And I think they're accomplishing that here because of all and, of the visual elements they're taking advantage of. And beautifully different stakes. And so as oh, the yeah, as the totally smoke is blood. wafting away, Hux gives maybe his favorite line in the entire movie, do you think you got him? <laughs> and I love how Kylan doesn't even acknowledge him. He just falls back in his chair. He almost looks winded and he's just like waiting. He's like, I got him, right? Like, he has to be dead. There's no yeah. way he could be dead. Why do I not feel that he's dead? And then that's when the, once again, the gunner, the, the pilot calls out, sir. And you see Luke emerge from the, <laughs> from, from, from the, the smoke, from the ashes, right? And the most Mark Hamill ham moment comes to yeah. fruition as he just brushes off yeah. his one shoulder. Does feel very Mark Hamill-y. Um, and that's one of those moments, like... Like, people complain so much about Luke throwing the lightsaber at the beginning of this film. If, in my opinion, if you're going to complain about a corny moment, that should be it. I loved it. Don't get me wrong. But if you're yeah. going to pick something to complain about, that's the one. Not the throwing the lightsaber. Come on. But this brushing off just reminds me of, like, Mark Hamill himself, who did oh, I love originated, it. I... like, Amadeus has played yeah. the Joker. He's a hammy guy. He's just a, a good vaudevillian showman. Yeah, trust me. Um, I love everything and, about it. And but. when he does that, I just, I really enjoy it because I kind of like the idea that this is over time and Luke and his seclusion, he's got a, he's got a little weird. It's a little oh, weird. he's definitely a little goofy and we definitely see that. I mean, that's the and Yoda of it all. And to me, it's such a flourish because there is nothing that could incense Kylo more than oh, not only yeah. did you not get me, but it's no big deal. I'm just brushing it off. Like, brushing is that it? Off? That's all yeah. you got? That's 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 your big bad first order then? <laughs> yeah. And so now the the stakes shift because this is not going to be one with the military hardware. Kylo needs to go and take care Based of this himself. himself. And this is also where he throws Hux up against the wall when Hux doesn't want to... Uh participate in this and so our rebels inside the base realize like 
Holy crap. Luke's a god. <laughs> and this is, by the way, where Finn is dragging Rose back into the base. Yes. And this is where Poe is having his his sort of, um, uh, what would you call it, final moments of basically coming to fruition as the leader of the Resistance. Because he's realizing, Finn's basically saying, we need to get out there. We need to help him. We need to fight. And Poe is saying, no, we can't. He's doing this for a reason. What is that reason? He He's buying us time. Buying us time so we can escape. And they're all going through this motion of, oh, there's no back exit. How do we get out of here? Well, maybe there's an unmapped mine. This cavern is huge. And then Poe is the one who realizes the foxes are gone. The crystal critters are gone, right? Crystal critters. I love that. And so, and then 3PO says, oh, I don't hear them either. You know, weighing in, of course. And so they follow the lone fox through the base as Luke is left to face Kylo. And this is sort of the conclusion of the actual battle of Crate, even though there's a whole rescue going on on the other side. So let's yeah. talk about that rescue a little bit and then come back to the conclusion of the battle. So Poe starts leading them in of realizing, okay, we got to go through the back exit. There's yeah. a way out of here. We got to follow the crystal critters, which is a great Star Wars thing of life finds a way, like nature and the force will guide you. Like the naturalistic world is your savior. Love that stuff. Um, and they're going through there. Meanwhile, on the other side, Ray and Chewie have landed the Falcon in the back of this cave. And like realize that like Ray's like can kind of sense that like this is the answer, but how am I gonna? How it's all covered in rocks, and it's like I guess I'd have to use the force, but I'm not confident in my force abilities yet. And so it's the sort of her having to dig in and and find herself yeah. and how she can essentially embrace the Jedi yeah. in her way, not. Well, so much of Ray's arc in La- in the first in the Force Awakens and in this film is. I'm trying to find my place. I'm trying to find the people who make me feel like I belong. Han felt like that person and now he's gone, right? And so she's trying to find that same thing in Luke and she can't. He's not what he needs her to be. And so Rey is going through all of this stuff and they even have that moment, of course, of saying it's not just about moving rocks, right? Well, Mm -hmm. here she is moving rocks. But it really is so much more than just her digging in and concentrating it's her embracing it right it's her embracing yes i am going to be a jedi i'm not scared of this even Mm -hmm. though when i touched the lightsaber in the last movie i was running away saying i didn't want anything to do with this you know halfway through the last one and so her character is also getting even though her in my opinion story more concludes when she faces kylo this is sort of the the, the this tip is, of the hat at the end uh, of saying, hey, no, she's evolved is, to that next level of Jedi the same way we see no, Luke evolve between five and six. Her denying Kylo is when she chooses to be a Jedi and serve the light. Yeah. Like, that's, that's like you said, that's the conclusion of her confusion where she chooses to define herself. I will be the thing that opposes you. I don't know anything yeah. about, about myself, but I've learned on this journey. I won't become you. Yeah. There's a better, brighter universe I want to protect. Yes. This is the the confirmation of her decision. This is the shaking off of the last doubts as her newfound being as being the legacy of the Jedi and whatever force wielder that means to be. Yeah. This is her finally showing the power level that she has when she is confident and knows why she's doing what she's doing because she's chosen to be a Jedi. This rock would be tough for Luke to have moved in the original trilogy, 
but she knows what she is. She knows what she wants and she knows where her destiny lies right this moment. Mm -hmm. And she's going to find it, how to lift all the rocks. I'm not going to talk about, yes, she lifts all the rocks. That actually comes a little later, but honestly, it's mostly cutting back to her and her just sort of uh, mustering herself. Yeah. Being there and then embracing Finn as they run out and getting on the Falcon. I mean, there isn't much there with her. So that, so then back yeah. to back to <laughs> the, the real battle of crate here, the conclusion. And what is, I mean, for all of our purposes, this is the battle of crate. You know, everything else well, was is, just a distraction. This is what well, like we've I all said, been waiting for. This is Star Wars doing its normal thing of it likes to show battles on three fronts. Mm-hmm. It likes to show you the big picture in like, you know, say the Battle of Hoth. It's the Star Destroyer blockade. They have to get the transports through with the ion cannon or in um, or the Battle of Endor around the Death Star 2, you know, and then it likes to show you the middle, the ground battle, the people have faces and are fighting each other stuff, whether that's the trenches and the snow speeders in Battle of Hoth or in Endor, that is the squad that's trying to break the shield generator. And then the last level it likes to work on is the duel, the two people that are fighting each other, whether that is, you know, like Vader and, um, marching his way through the base on Hoth and like how grim that's going to be for anyone who gets in his way. Or in Endor, Vader and Luke fighting as the Emperor's cackling like a monster. This has happened in this battle, but instead of happening, again, like a layer cake on top of each other, this has just happened in sequence. Yes. We had the Holdo maneuver, which is the end of the space battle we've been basically having the whole movie where the Resistance is getting plucked one by one. We have now reduced down to the land battle. We had the, the ski... Um, skimmers and all this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we've gotten through that and now all we have left is two men facing each other down yes and as we get this sort of confrontation here as kylo steps off of his shuttle and removes his cape and um you know they have their little conversation about i think i didn't write it down but the dialogue is like did you come back to say you're sorry to save me save my soul or whatever and luke just goes no it's just like I'm not here to help you. <laughs> that's just like such a that feels like Jedi Luke. That feels like episode six Luke of like that brash confidence of be the last mistake it's, you'll ever make. Like it's just it's 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 really, really enjoyable to see Luke be so confident in his character here because it is a satisfying conclusion to Luke and, denying the call for the whole movie. And it also, like you said, has that Jedi quality we saw in the prequels of that of what a proper Jedi with proper detachment has. You know, when Obi-Wan gets to the end of his battle with Anakin, he understands of like, there's no saving you. I don't like this, but I recognize what has to happen. And Luke's the same here. of like, I can't save you, Ben. All I can do is defeat you here. Yeah. So that's what's going to happen. And obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, you've probably seen The Last Jedi before, but spoilers. Um, Weird if you haven't. Yeah, weird if you haven't. Maybe stop now and go watch it. Um, So as this battle goes on, there's a few things here at the beginning that are really interesting. One, we notice Luke has a lightsaber that he shouldn't have, right? This lightsaber should be in Rey's possession. Obviously, we've already called out that he looks very different. And if you're paying attention, you'll notice that as he moves across the salt... It is not being disturbed by his feet the same way it is by Kylo. And again, you're really not going to catch it the first time. I I would be very impressed if anyone really caught that. Because again, 
We don't really focus on no. that part of things. What I love about it is they're showing all of these visual clues and your mind is like, oh, that's weird, but it's fine because I'm here. Oh, that's weird, but it's fine. Like, you're not or, or, worried or, oh, about it's, there or it's, not it's just the way it limits of the CGI or, oh, they just forgot to move some salt around or like whatever. Like, it's it's very plausible yeah. and easy to ignore in the moment. It, it kind of reminds me of like when you watch a movie like The Sixth Sense. Yeah. There's a totally different movie when you watch it the second time. Right, for I'm sure. I'm not going to spoil The Sixth Sense here. But when you watch it the second time, you go, wow, they were really thinking about everything that was happening. And yeah. I just couldn't see it because right. I didn't have the right frame of mind. Oh, for sure. And now, in my opinion, those are some of the best twists in movies. Oh, yeah. But what I loved about it is, is even in the moment. So like Luke being visually different. That's fine. He's cleaned himself up. This is Jedi Luke. Like, I just accepted that. The when he hopped in the X-Wing yeah. to get here, I'm sure he just had to clean up a little bit. I'm talking about, you know, my first time seeing this. Yes, yeah. that's how I felt, right? And then, okay, oh, he's got that lightsaber. Well, I guess Ray gave it to him. Makes sense, right? It happened off screen. We, we haven't see seen it. her with it. Yeah, Since fine. it got cut in half, it, so it, I don't it's know. It's fine, you know, whatever. We didn't even know necessarily they and, got cut in half. And for all we know, like, Luke lost his lightsaber at the temple, and this is the reconstructed one. He built one like his dad. Who knows? No idea, right? But then the thing that, like, in the theater, oh, you do notice him not making marks on the salt. My mind just went to, well, this is just showing the difference between someone who's being calm in the Force right. and someone who's, you know, following the dark side. And I thought that's what it was showing and visually, was just he's so light on his feet that he is not affecting the planet surface. And I'll say the first time I watched it, I just didn't notice because, like, again, there's so many particle yeah. effects with the salt that I just yeah. kind of, like... It all just washed the in my head. The only reason I noticed it is because it's after Kylo's first strike. There's a moment where they focus in on it. Right. And because... that's the only reason. I, I didn't notice it at first, for sure. Like uh, when he first steps out. Yeah. And, 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 and again, it's also like you said, it's like he is working with the environment, not against it. So he's in tune with it. So, of course, he's not and disturbing that's, it. And that's how I interpreted yep. it. And I thought that was beautiful on its own. Like, So the great thing about <laughs> this is we have a bit of a pitched set of flurries and exchanges at stages of blows, except there is no exchange. Luke is just dodging everything. He's just expertly like, like, um, like a Tai Chi master or like Aikido or something. He's just wafting around uh -huh. Kylo, which in the moment, like you said, first time you watch it, it's just like, is great. Cause Luke's like, I'm not even going to strike you. I'm just going to get you to wind yourself yeah. because you are so angry and unfocused. Yeah. I don't even have to fight you to win. And when people talk about seeing the mastery of Luke Skywalker, you know, some people say, oh, I was disappointed. I felt like we didn't see that in this movie. My personal opinion is seeing him dodging these blows in ways we haven't seen before. Sure. Seeing him pull off what he's about to pull off shows that mastery, in well, my opinion. It's using a different vocabulary than we're used to in Star Wars in the sense of this is... This is a bit more the Obi-Wan and Darth Vader fight from New Hope, where yeah. it's Obi-Wan is, again, he's not, it's not a bombastic battle. It's not supposed to be. Right. But it's using the vocabulary of like martial arts films. This is the wise old long bearded master whose young ambitious pupil cannot defeat him because the old master is just supremely confident. Yeah. And uses his opponent's energy against him. And that yeah. rage that Kylo has is his 
undoing because Luke finds it like it is so trivial for yeah. me to dodge what you're doing because your motions are so worn on your sleeve. I can see it from a mile away. And so Luke's first because he has like two dodges here. Basically, Luke's first dodge feels very much like a. this is in the vein of Star Wars. He's literally as a Jedi would like we'd see in the Clone Wars. Yep. Slipping around these swings. Yes. The second one is more of a Matrix-style, you know, something new, something we haven't seen before in Star Wars. So us sitting there in the theater, you know, I think I think we were right next to each other in 2017. I can't remember if there was one person between us. But when we were sitting there watching it, right? <laughs> yeah. What did you think at that moment of, of Luke sort of doing this, like, falling back so it's only from his knees down to his ankles that are holding him well, doing, up? Doing a limbo well, move yeah, to get like, under this real wide cut. Yeah. Uh, horizontal cut yeah. that's... Because, like, everything else we see a Jedi sort of, besides, like, running really fast, jumping really high, like, every move we see a Jedi do, hypothetically, a stunt performer could do that. Right. This move that Luke does is not something that I believe anybody could well, physically mm, actually do without the aid I of the think, Force. I think Ray Park could do it. Um, but that's because I think Ray Park could do anything. Uh, <laughs> I, you could absolutely do this move. The one thing that I think would be missing to make it feel like it's a physical thing is his non his hand not holding the lightsaber yeah. should be positioned under his body, under his back. To, like, push him up. Yes, to, well, exactly. To, to, make, to make him a tripod. So his legs and his yeah. hand would be supporting him. It's the fact he's unsupported at that, where his center of balance is obviously up by his shoulders. He should fall back on. That's exactly them. what I'm talking about. Of That is, feels new is, to me and, in and, Star Wars. And again, it's Star Wars, so what's the only excuse? The Force. The right. Force must be what causes him to not lose his balance. So when I first saw this... I thought it was a little weird, personally. But the more I, I think about it and the more I've you know seen that movie over and over again and you know gesticulated with it, I love it because it's coming back to showing here is the Force. Here is what mastery of the Force looks like. When you are such a powerful Jedi and you truly understand what the Jedi are, you do not need to strike somebody back because you can literally sure. just dodge them and, and win the battle of the minds. And I think the only only thing I would say is I don't particularly think I remember pausing on the moment much in my head Yeah, for two reasons. One, action has gotten less grounded since the Matrix. And so for me, it's like it can just be a visual thing. I'm not really thinking about like physics because like if I start doing that, I think about people having shock and ligaments and, you know, being able to hurt yourself in ways that aren't obvious. Yeah. Uh, and realize that most of the stuff we do in movies is completely unrealistic, sure, even of grounded stuff. But then I think the second reason is, I think after episodes two Yoda's fight, I'm like, oh, you, you can basically fly with the Force. You can do ridiculous things with the Force if you are strong and attuned enough. Mm -hmm. So for me, him like bending backwards is no different than like Yoda's inability to like pinball into these like, you know, six foot leaps at will. Comparing it to Yoda is actually a very valid comparison that I have never really thought about before, but I really like that. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, I agree so completely. I, I, I think it's mostly, I think it was just a very like big visual flourish of like, yeah, Kylo, you had a hit that should absolutely win, but he's got magic on his side, so you can't. Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, yeah. It's, it's really, it's really great. But this is where, like, Kylo's like, no, that should have hit. This is bullcrap. I hate you, Uncle Luke. I hate you so much. And this is where Luke puts the lightsaber away and basically says, you know, if you strike me down in anger, I'll be with you just like your father. And Kylo 
takes that to heart and runs at him, slices through him, and realizes as he turns around, no damage was done. And as he walks back up to his uncle and slowly, as the realization dawns over his face and the audience's, he sticks him with his lightsaber. I love that. Very. He flips yeah. it. And he's got his like overhand grip and he just like pokes him. Yeah. And you see the sort of, as the lightsaber goes into Luke's chest, you see sort of blue light coming out from the sides of it very dully. And this is then the realization happens because the camera cuts to Luke levitating on Octu. And we realize he's never left the island. He is simply, as we'll learn to call it, projecting himself Mm -hmm. across the galaxy and creating a essentially shadow of himself, a facsimile of himself that Kylo has been dueling with. And that is another reason why they couldn't actually touch, why their lightsabers didn't, you know, why they didn't actually go that route of Luke just blocking him. But... Even if Luke had physically been there, the dodging is so much cooler, in my opinion, than than blocking. It, it thematically him. pays off yeah. what what's happening. And like I said, I, I understand if you wanted a hardcore action beat here, it's not there. It's this is not the pitched battle of Luke versus Vader in in. It's certainly not the battle at Mustafar. Like, and it doesn't want to be that. Mm-mm. And again. You can have an opinion on whether you wanted something other than this, but this is the movie that they wanted to tell, and I think it does it extremely expertly. And then we get the great rundown, the sort of like collapse of this entire movie down into single thoughts, which is the the whole thing of like, you know, Kylo just explaining how this is all over. And now that I know that you're not here, I'm going to go kill the resistance. I'm going to find that girl. I'm going to destroy her everything that you care about is dead and luke gets that nice reprisal of like it's funny everything you just said is wrong yeah <laughs> and it's like the resistance is reborn because at this point yeah. ray has lifted the rocks poe and finn and leia are pouring through the other side with the leftovers of the resistance and they're going to board the falcon and get out of here yeah. um so the resistance is reborn to, you know the rebellion is reborn today mm-hmm. um and you know we get the idea of I will not be the last of the Jedi. And this is when Rey's just triumphantly hand out and all of those rocks are floating around her and she's just opened a mountain up on her own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's a really powerful triumphant explanation of how hopeful we are going to leave this movie of this is, this is the empire strikes back where, you know, the bad guys have come. They have won. They have essentially locked down the galaxy. They have crushed the resistance. This is where they are, have their moment of triumph. But no, not actually, because that spark of, of hope is about to become a bonfire. You know, that uh, that this darkest moment, the, the darkest before the dawn, you know, we, we kind of realize, I guess in some thematic ways, that sunset we've been seeing all day... Mm-hmm turns out to be a sunrise because by the end of the movie it's higher in the sky and we don't have as much orangey glow to all the visuals by the time they're getting on the falcon it's like midday looking light and i think that's all thematic to the fact of like yeah no 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 no. there's gonna be a third movie (laughs) (laughs) yes absolutely i um i love that in these last moments here this ending of the battle of crate you know which ends with 
Kylo trying to stab Luke and Luke essentially fading away, seeing see around kid. Uh, as this is happening, not only is this facilitating the end of Luke's story and arc, it's also facilitating Kylo's transformation into the main villain. Yes. Him basically saying, no, I'm in control now. I'm in charge. And as long as nobody uh, somehow returns from the dead, I will be the big bad. In the next let's, one. let's not go there. By the uh, end of this, he proves that he's the supreme leader, yeah. the, the avatar of the dark side. And he is still that fractured person we met in the force awakens but because of his choices and because what he's done he has hardened himself and made the very very distinct decision to become the leader of this evil to make it his own absolutely and i mean you know he is enraged that the first order has escaped him Mm -hmm. and the battle ends with his defeat and um of course, there's more that happens here where we see Luke, uh, you know, fade off into the force and all of well, these great conclusions of these themes. But the battle itself ends with essentially the First Order trying to uh, come into the Resistance base, realizing they're all gone. And with Kylo, you know, kneeling on the floor, uh, sort of wishing for what could be. Grabbing Han's dice and realizing that all the presence of Luke here has been an illusion the entire time for us, the audience. And it's also kind of a, just a symbolic thing of, yeah, the fading away reminds you that Luke was here. The dice reminds you that your dad was here. The fact that those dice were probably given to your mom and she was here is just a reminder that, Hey, Kylo, all the people that loved you as Ben Solo. Yeah. They're still with you. You're never going to escape the gravity of them. Yeah. As much as you may want to, yeah. no matter how many Supreme leaders you stab through the stomach, you know, how many Mega always... Cannon 6s you aim at your uncle, you're just, you're not going to escape what you are. Yeah, that's you're, right. Deep down inside, you're Ben Solo, and you're just going to have to deal with that. And deal with it he will, next time, so, on Star Wars. Anyway, that's a battle crate. <laughs> uh, one yeah. of, again, I think the more visually arresting mm-hmm. imageries in Star Wars. Um, and and if- soundtrack. Please go check out, the if you haven't listened to The Last Jedi soundtrack, listen to those and, last six songs. And again, I think... Kind of inarguably, sort of like how when you like think of the Matrix uh, uh, Reloaded, there are many problems with it, but everyone kind of agrees that car chase is pretty cool. Um, same kind of thing here of like the salt over the red bedrock and what that symbolically means and the showdown nature of the tension of this battle. I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to not enjoy most of the beats of this from at least just from a fully just action movie kind of perspective mm-hmm. it's it's a good solid addition to the storytelling of um star wars and I, it's also nice to get back to something that's more of a straight up battle like hoth um because in the prequels most of the battles we see are so much bigger than we can comprehend yeah or in endor there's so much more sneaky strike you don't get a full picture the way this does this right. has that nice stare down yes absolutely um, and uh i really like it it's really good. I really like it too, Mac. I'm glad we finally got to talk about it in some detail. You ready to go wrap this one up? Let's do it. Let's do it.
All right, we bring another one home. Here we are at the end of the Battle of Crate. We're on the Falcon. There's porgs everywhere. We're flying off to our next adventure. The salt has settled. Kylo has dried his tears. He is rummaging the galaxy for Exegol or whatever, something at this point now. I don't know. He's telling Hawks to go get a dustpan, go find his mask, and find some really hot red glue to put in between it because he wants to go fix that. Now he's the Supreme Leader. He's got to look, he's got to look good. Oh, uh, boy. I really like the Battle of Crate. I really, really had fun with that. Uh, I think it's... We did it with uh, the Battle of Endor before. Like I like kind of looking at these scenes and just sort of walking through and, and looking at all the connective tissue. Mm-hmm. When, when Again, when you're detached from, instead of doing a play-by-play, you're just going to go and like, what does this mean? What does it do? Like, And and again, the Battle of Crate has all those emotional payoffs and callbacks that come from the rest of the movie, and it just feels very a very well-rounded conclusion to, again, what was set up in earlier in the movie. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It is a facilitation not only of the conclusion of a film but of multiple characters arcs and one character's entire story altogether so it really is a in a lot of ways feels like a finale because it's so well done um Um, to the point it's so well done that often the, the i think the most lasting criticism i'll even hold for last jedi is ryan you you know you're making the second one right this isn't the third one this isn't the end of the trilogy you Someone has to follow this up. I know. It's so weird when a filmmaker, like, creates a story with a beginning, middle, and an end and answers questions and gives the next filmmaker a chance to tell a unique story. But I will say, from a completely filmmaking perspective, when you do a trilogy, this is act two of the Greek tragedy. Mm -hmm. This is where things get worse and we don't know where our heroes are at the end. And we have some of that, but... This is a rounded conclusion, and especially ending on well, the biggest scene I will critique, which is Broom Boy. Not that it's bad. I just don't want it to be the last image. I want the last image to be our heroes on the Falcon. Mm-hmm. Is the Broom Boy being the last image says, and Star Wars has a bright future. Not just one movie to go that has to conclude all these themes. It's got a whole French. I'm like... It feels like the end of three movies, not the end of the middle chapter. And yeah, that's, I and get again. what you're saying. By yeah. having a competent movie, it does feel like the ending. I get that. I get that. I, I, I mean, I get... No, what you're saying no, I'm is just like, valid. I, I'm just like, I, I know we can't have this discourse without the rise of Skok or failed Last Jedi. I get... But like, like I said, I think it is a, again, stepping away from that, yeah. a legitimate criticism that Ryan Johnson put his final signature on what he wanted to say about Star Wars yeah. and did suck some oxygen out of the next writer's ability to write a trilogy. Yeah. That it is not... I mean, I, I don't know. In my opinion, going into the final film with Kylo being the big bad and having the opportunity to become anything we want him to be is more interesting than Palpatine's hand coming out of the ashes at the I'm end of not, the second one. Again, like, I'm that's not, the other option, apparently. So No, no, the, the other option... No, I guess what no, I... The other option <laughs> is you leave with ambiguity. If you look but at, you do. You have the resist. The rebellion is reborn and crushed right. down to this nothing. They're going to grow into something new. You have this leader who is now taking over the evil faction and going to become his own person. Like you have let threads me, to follow, and instead we just cut them off. Let me just put it like, to what you, if we didn't? Let do me that? just put it this yeah. way. The biggest thing again about not feeling like a middle chapter is I don't know the immediate thing they need to go do, 
And in most successful trilogies, yeah. that's where you are at the end of the middle chapter. At yeah. the end of Back to the Future Part 2, Marty is in 1955. Yeah. He has to find a way to get out of there and find yeah. Doc in the Wild West. At the end of Empire Strikes sure. ba- Back, we have to go save Han. Yeah. I don't know what else is going to happen. And we yeah. end on a positive note. The heroes are safe, yeah. except for Han. But it- in the end of Attack of the Clones... We have to go fight the Clone Wars. Yeah. That is the dark thing that just okay. happened. But if you're going to say the a- Attack of the Clones is a good enough cliffhanger, then we have to go rebuild the Rebellion is a good enough cliffhanger at the end of The Last Jedi, because that's what it is. Leia's saying to Ray, we have everything we need. We have these books. We have this broken down lightsaber. Yeah. That is the next step. So if you're like... And I'm going to still stand I, by my belief. F- if you flip yeah. Broom Boy in the final image, yeah. I would have walked the way theater leaving with that. But Broom Boy is... Oh, I... I guess we're going to get the next crew of Jedi. Are we going to have like a 10, 15 year time skip from two to three? Because or, that's where it left me feeling is we have a big pause because how can a nine year old yeah. fight in the next movie or his, what he represents? Yeah. Right, right, right. You can't just take it as the piece of symbolism that it is to put a bow on the movie. Like you, you have to look at it no, in that because literal as the way, last, like every neckbeard online. I my guess. thing is, as the very yeah. last image of the film, yeah. I am left thinking that we have a much bigger time gap ahead of us because I don't end with the sense of urgency of Finpo and Ray have to go finish their story. Right. I am left with the resistance is reborn and someday binary sunset oh, I we will fight the end of the battle I agree and, and, and again yes. it's it's once again i don't want to what get should it. have happened in the next movie to be fair like i guess and, what and, i'm and, saying and remember, is your complaints are rise of skywalker related not like if the rise of skywalker had taken those threads and run with them and made kylo the main villain and made poe the leader like if they had finished up the story if we then filmed, you wouldn't be having these again, complaints if we had filmed colin trevorrow's version of uh, of Episode nine, yeah. which again, many problems with that as well. Could have been a very different thing. But, no but, idea but of knowing. that movie feels like a thing that Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm and, you know, Ryan Johnson knew was being developed in parallel. It at least feels like. Yes. They didn't know what the reaction to Last Jedi was going to be, but they knew what Last Jedi ends with. And again, we end it, we would start episode nine a couple years later yeah. with a lonely and angry Kylo Ren sitting on Coruscant in triumph with the first order locked down to the galaxy. Yes. And it would have felt more like a continuation of that. Right. Um, but like I said, all I'm saying is that the best thing about last Skywalker, uh, last Jedi is it has a beautiful beginning, middle and end. Yeah. The only thing is I wish Ryan Johnson had directed the th- n- episode nine, well, sure. not episode eight. I mean, we can all say that the guy that wrote Batman versus Superman shouldn't have directed the final Skywalker movie. Like, uh, but like, I mean, is, yes, I think we guess, are all in agreement that the guy that wrote justice league was not the right choice. I guess my point like, is if I'm mad at anything, it is mad at the lack of focus on a trilogy being written all at the same time because because here's my thing. It's not like Ryan Johnson went over to uh, Trevorrow's team and said, what are you guys working? I want to make sure that my ending bumps up really well with your beginning that you've already written because that script is already in its like third draft by the time I am going to film my movie. (laughs) You know, like, sure. Anyway, I, I just think it is a legitimate criticism that, Last Jedi is more like a New Hope where it stands on its own. Oh, it very much does, yes. Than a Empire right. or Attack of the Clones, which definitely needs you to have watched the first movie and yeah. watched the next movie for this one to make sense. And I think that is, like I said, very mildly, because yeah. I don't want to show here, I think that is a legitimate complaint of 
this is the prompt you have and this is what you concluded with yeah. and you almost made too rounded of a story yeah. to regardless of what episode 9 was so much energy yeah. was spent in yeah. episode 8 like it's a little tough to pay off some of those characters i i, I hear you but i think it's it's weird to say the movie was so good that it's bad like i like that's essentially what i'm hearing you say of saying like because it was a full competent story with a beginning middle and an end it doesn't feel one-sided enough it doesn't feel cliffhangery like in my it doesn't opinion, feel like, cliffhangery enough. like would you have been happy if like like if it ended like the force awakens where luke walks out the door to face the first order and it cuts the credits like, because that's what The Force Awakens did. And I think a lot of us had issues with that, with Star Wars feeling cliffhangery in that way. And, like, that's how The Last Jedi could have ended to give it more of what you're talking about. But I'm, I'm not, not sure lie. I would I, like I, that better. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I might have. Yeah. But then that's picking up. Then you'd have to pick up right again, right where it left right. off. Right. And again, that. that and I, I think that's another issue, and personally. That I wouldn't be satisfied with. But, like, good example. If you end it, like, for me, and the complaint I'm referring to, understand I like Last Jedi. Sure, sure, um, sure, sure. But the, the the thing is, when Luke gives his speech about the Rebellion is Reborn, I will not be the last of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. All those people rushing onto the Falcon, just to see the Falcon zip off as Luke fades and then he dies on Octu, and that's where we left, would be a stronger place to me because I'm like, there's a lot more ambiguity. Like, you know, do Leia and Ray even know that Luke passed? Do do they go back to Octu? Do do where's the Falcon gonna go? Where we don't even know where they're gonna go now, right? Like that ambiguity would make me more excited about the the movie because I'm pretty sure I remember within the first 24 hours of watching Last Jedi going like, where the heck are they gonna go? Where is there to go? But isn't that more exciting than knowing what those threads are gonna be? Like, isn't it more exciting not knowing where episode nine will open than knowing exactly where episode eight will open? Well, if you recall, if you want to have fun, listeners, go back to our episode nine predictions and find out. Oh, my God. Find the headspace we were at and where we thought episode nine could go. Wow, were we wrong. And you remember my treatment of that is like, it has been a decade. (laughs) Because that's what the end of that movie felt like to me. And, And to be honest. There is no permutation of reality where Lucas ever wanted to put any aging makeup on their young stars. There was no universe where they wanted a time gap of any meaningful amount of time more than New Hope to Empire. Mm -hmm. They wanted nothing more of that between episodes eight and nine. And I go, that's maybe, again, maybe that's the vibe. I'm just, I feel like I'm really, like you said, I'm really nitpicking something that, that it is. I just, I think it is a legitimate... I'll conclude with this. I recently went on to my Letterboxd account mm-hmm. and I reevaluated the sequel trilogy and I mm-hmm. wrote reviews for each one of them. Mm-hmm. And I found that in the end, to your point of it's so good, it's bad. The lopsided camel hump uh-huh. of quality between seven, eight and nine breaks any ability for me to really enjoy that arc of a trilogy. I completely understand. And there is a part of me that says, if we had ground down some of the best parts of eight, at least the three movies would have a more cohesive whole to them. Much like people, you know, don't like the prequels. I've come to, 
the sequel trilogy to me is like very I love what it added to the universe of Star Wars. I like some of the characters. I like some of the arcs. But the fact that so much of Last Jedi to me feels like grabbing threads that weren't there in Seven to build up arcs for these characters, to have them go through these magical, amazing, wonderfully, very crafted, clockwork, Swiss watch character arcs that interweave with each other in Eight, mm-hmm. and then not having them paid off in Nine, I go, it's not just that they didn't get paid off in Nine. They didn't exist in seven. They only exist in a meaningful way in eight. Ryan Johnson found things for these characters to do, and then he had them do them. And for the most part, their journeys are complete. Someone's going to have to find a new art. Like Poe is the leader of the resistance. There's not much for him to do except for do Leia's job in in nine, which means that some writer would have to figure out some new arc for him, which is a fun challenge and interesting, but... These movies were being made to come out like two to three years after each one like clockwork. And with that, again, being the job, if you will. Yeah. It does make me disappointed that we didn't create an arc through all three movies, you know, and and to me, it does lessen my my enjoyment of Last Jedi that I can't watch it wholly on its own that it's not new hope and i could just watch it and forget that there was a movie before it and forget that there's a movie after it it has to exist wedged between two bookends that are the first one's a competent movie the second one is a a a a a, a we got canceled and we have to make a season finale kind of like ending yeah. which has good bits to it but is very rushed and very complex unnecessarily and all this good stuff it has to live in that world, which, yes, makes my enjoyment and my yes. understanding and my reevaluation of Last Jedi of, I think this is maybe the arguably the best filmed, best written Star Wars we will ever have. At the same time, does it belong here? I completely understand. I want to wrap this up, but I want to yes. give two counterpoints. Go. One, I think the... What I'm going to describe, even though I do think it is in a lot of ways very similar to Empire, the uniqueness of The Last Jedi Mm -hmm. shows us that Star Wars can still change and evolve. And like Mm -hmm. you said earlier, it is, in my opinion, the most beautiful Star Wars from a visual storytelling standpoint and showing us that a Star Wars can still be art and not a 2020 action movie, I think is very important. Uh, Secondly... I don't think necessarily Ryan found threads that weren't there in episode seven, because I want to give episode seven a little more credit than that. Mm -hmm. And I also want to make it say that, or I also want to put in that I personally feel that seven and eight do feel like they go together quite well. That eight Mm -hmm. does feel like a good continuation of seven. Like, you know, he took Ray's story of wanting to find her place to belong and simplified it by giving her two people she was being pulled between, right? Yes. He took Finn's story of not having a place to belong and being on the run and gave him a story. Like, I think he took those threads and worked with them. I don't think he just made up stories, I guess is what I'm saying. And the last minute rebuttal of that, like, I really do feel that Finn didn't have that thread and he created one. He saw that Finn Finn spends all of his time running from the First Order and wanting to protect this new girl he met, Ray, Right? And I think when we left Seven, it's because, like, maybe they're going to get together. Maybe there's a romantic subplot there, and that's why they're so connected to each other. But in the end, it's not the direction the universe went, even in Eight. 
And so we took Finn, who can't do either of those things, right? He can't escape the First Order. The whole movie is they're stuck with the First Order at their back. And he can't go go off and save Rey. So we've got to find something for him to do. And right. so he said, oh, the struggle of finding something to do is what he is going through. Yeah. And so, in my opinion, created a thread that I don't think anyone who wrote Seven was planning for him. You or, don't think or him, like it, but it's, it, but it's, but isn't that no, Han's no, no. story of learning to fight for the resist, like learning to be on the good side, learning to have something to fight for? That is the same story Finn goes like, like, like in my mind when you go from a character who has nothing to fight for to a character like you got to give them something to fight for. Like that's sure. not a. That's not a weird thread well, to pull. But, but again, opinion. I think at the end of seven, what's he fighting for? He knows how bad the first order is and doesn't want people to suffer like he did. That's enough. Like when he looks at his first friend with the red paw print over his face, we already know his his opinions on the first order and why he's going to run away from them. Mm -hmm. And in and like I said, in eight, he's running away from them still. Whereas I think in seven, we already feel like he's joined the resistance. He knows oh, what... see, no, he hasn't. He's only going to Starkiller to save Ray. He doesn't care about the resistance. He's going to let them get blown up. He doesn't know how to shut the shields off. He's like at the end of seven, he doesn't care about the resistance at all. I he's don't literally agree with you. leaving them to be sacrificed. He takes on to save Ray without a plan in the world of how to shut the shields off and let them in. He's just going like he sure. He, I, I think that's mistaken. He does not care about the resistance at the end of episode seven. And that is your opinion. I don't share it. He literally is going to let them get blown up to save Ray. Awesome. I don't agree with you. I don't think that is how the events play out. And that is not the emotional vibes I have. When he lifts that right lightsaber to fight for Ray, it is because he has decided he's here to fight for people he cares about. That he's fighting for Ray, yeah. Ray because he now sees Ray and Poe and Han and Chewie and the Falcon are all interconnected. When he sees oh, Kylo Ren kill Han, yeah. he understands this is bigger than just me trying to protect one person. This is me protecting the people I've already lost, the squad I lost, yeah. the family I lost, I feel that, like, again, he's not saying, I'm a resistance fighter, and that's why the Arkin 8 works. Um, but I'm just saying, like, I think he's totally ready to be Han Solo. When Han Solo blasts Vader's, Vader's TIE fighter, there's no fear that he's going to stick around. He should just keep going off with the money. He came back, did his one heroic thing, and now I have to pay off Jabba. Yeah. But, he, but when we open up on 8, he's still with them, which tells us a lot about how his character's grown off screen. So, uh, the other one I would say is Poe, which Poe is really easier to argue they found a thread because Poe was supposed to die in most permutations of 7 until we got sort of to the end of 7. People are like, oh no, Oscar has this really good. We should keep this character around. He's great. Yeah. And that's why Poe doesn't have much to do in 7 for a lot of it. And he, at the end, he just does cool fighter pilot stuff. And at the beginning of this movie, he said, well, Poe's a cool fighter pilot. That's kind of his character whole cloth in Seven. The only other thing we see is the Resistance are good people because, man, this guy just met Finn and has given him a name and thinks he's great and mm -hmm. supporting him 100%, mm -hmm. right? So in Eight, we got to find out, okay, now that this guy is a full-bloody character and we are now marketing him as the third of this yeah, holy trinity, yeah. well, we got to find something for him to do. Well, what is he? He's a brash, cool pilot. Um, great. Let's take that away. Wait, wait, wait. I really like Top Gun. Maybe we we shave down the edge of that brash pilot, give him some consequences, and make him realize that he has to be a mature leader, not just a cool guy. Yeah, yeah. No, it worked for Top Gun. Let's go. <laughs> and again, 
I think that's great. I, 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 oh man, I feel like I heal because I'm just like, seven seems so much weaker to me upon repeat. Like every well, time is. I watch seven, I just go, man, this was good f- comfort food. Yeah. But they had no idea where they wanted to go with any of this. And that is just ridiculous I, to me I, that I you think, would yeah. green light seven eight and nine at the same time and the first thing you don't do is get a whiteboard and draw an arc and there's episode seven at the beginning episode nine at the end and at the middle climax episode eight and they say what's our story and then we're going to hire directors to do the individual parts completely agree that it is and 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 i think the problem is i think we believed it was that way And when I saw eight, I'm like, oh, maybe there's a really good, they really pulled some great new material out of seven. They really built something majestic out of that. And we realized like, no, Ryan Johnson just had some really cool ideas what to do with these action figures. He just opened the toy box and that was what was there. It's not like he was, he's not picking up the natural trajectories that existed in seven. No, and you can, I, I am in complete agreement that the biggest issue the sequel trilogy has and Star Wars under Disney's tenure is not having a clear cut path and direction for episodes seven, eight, and nine. If you didn't have a direction, do more anthology films first, right? If you didn't have a direction, have one director do all three of these films and have them come out three years apart instead of two or film them all back to back. You're Disney. You can afford to do it. You just invested four billion. Like people really don't want to do that anymore. Like the Dune was a great example of a movie. Like how is there any universe where you didn't just do them together? Like you're going to do half a movie. You know, you're going to do half a movie. Um, anyway, so, but that is even, even there is easier to understand because it's not the, well, no longer the biggest franchise in the world, but you know, I mean, Star Wars is safe. Yes. Like you, you just spent 4 billion spending another 400 million to make two more movies up front should not have been an issue. Two of the best examples of that, the matrix and back to the future. Yes. Yes. We knew people really wanted really badly sequels to these movies you understand why you would greenlit them yeah uh i understand what you're saying with dune other than the fact of like again if you're optioning one of the most right. famous and oh i agree science fiction books you should know what you bought yeah. and what pool it has i agree and completely budget accordingly but they're um, not disney they don't have infinite resources they're, like they're, they're warner brothers they 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 have those resources, what I say. Yeah. I, you're, you're not remember, wrong. I agree. Remember, but. <laughs> this is the company that owns the company that did three movies at the same time with Lord of the Rings, and they certainly did not have the money at the time to do it, but they did it anyway because they yeah. knew it was the right call. Yeah, and it anyway, worked. And it, and, it, and it ended up cheaper, and it's going to end up cheaper if they had built them at the same time because they had to go rebuild all those steps, rehire all those actors, rebuild all those suits like anyway that's not uh, here they're there dune's a neat movie you should go see it yes anyway, really loved it anyway last conclusion if you'd missed it at the top i want to remind you after all this salt but both on crate and in this final conversation i think it it's was, the season of giving it's the season of giving and uh as we said in the intro we do have this amazing grogu figure to give away this life-size uh it's really cute role play action piece so hey check it out on our twitter and uh you find all the details there like we said up top so come on join us star wars all in slash twitter or twitter.com slash star wars all in anchor.fm slash swai 
Uh, and you can find all of our episodes and all of our stuff and all of our giveaways and everything. And we're really excited to have you here because this is going to be a great another season of giving here as we celebrate Life Day and move through the wonders of Star Wars in the winter. And, uh, well, until next Wednesday, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And may the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.